Here's news from the center of the coronavirus pandemic, Seattle, Washington, March 18th, 2020, the Seattle Times, ticka, 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 tick. One wife in Seattle spoke about why she was storing pita chips in her dishwasher. She said, my biggest personal fear is social disruption. Like, I think the biggest need that I'm going to have for the pita chips that are in my dishwasher is when the state of Washington says, don't leave your house. And then I'm going to be really sorry if I don't have those pita chips. Um, on the side note, it should be noted that even in the total shutdown, people are permitted to leave their homes to go shop. Still, the instinct to hoard pita chips remains. And so when the apocalypse comes, store up some snacks. Why do you think people think like this? So the Seattle Times interviewed St Professor Stephen Taylor, a professor of psychiatry at the University of British Columbia, and, and he didn't diagnose the problem as follows. I think everyone has their individual degree of risk they're prepared to assume, and that's an individual choice, he said. It's sensible to have a two-week supply of medication and sanitary items and food. That's fine. And so I can understand why people would stock up on that. You do that without panicking. You can prepare without panicking. But I think uh, hoarding toilet paper, pita chips in the dishwasher, what's with that? Here's what Taylor said. For me, it's fascinating it might seem weird that people would hoard toilet paper because toilet paper is not going to prevent you from getting infected. I think what's happening is this is going viral with images of people panic buying toilet paper. Social media has made this pandemic different from other ones in that all these dramatic images of empty shelves and shopping carts spread planet-wide in a matter of moments and that can inflate people's sense of threat. In the minds of people, it becomes a symbol of safety, and these symbols, they need not be rational. So it would appear to my friends in Oro Valley that toilet paper is to the denizens of the coronavirus pandemic as the blanket is to Linus in the Peanuts cartoon. So question, what's going on? Answer, a failure of sight and a lack of vision. And so, friends, from the center of the coronavirus pandemic, this is Oro Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. Okay, fine. Not really the geographical center, but I'm sticking with my main point. So the gospel today from the ninth chapter of John is about a man that was born blind from birth that Jesus healed by mixing his saliva with clay and having the man wash in the pool of Siloam. The man comes to faith and understanding, but the hard hearts of some of the Pharisees lead them away from faith. Do you remember how the story started? The disciples see the man born blind and they turn to Jesus and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither. This is so that the work of God could be made manifest. You know, about the pandemic, maybe that would be the hopeful effect of this pandemic. We need some light. We need some vision. In the gospel in general in John, and this story in particular, the gospel emphasizes the contrast between light and dark, seeing and not seeing, 
faith and disbelief. So at the beginning of the Gospel of John in chapter 1, in verses 3 to 5, John says about Jesus, All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is the light of the world and the man born blind. For the purpose of this gospel, think of vision as more important than sight. Having vision is having insight, understanding, and perception. It's being able to look out into the world and understand what is really going on, to see things as they really are. Sight, on the other hand, is just information. There's no insight, understanding, and perceptions. It's the nasty look you get from someone and it doesn't even register with you. See, Christ is about seeing. When you see the Son of God made incarnate, you're seeing the face of God the Father. Denying that faith in Christ is being blind to the true reality underlying material existence. So in this gospel, physical blindness is being used as a metaphor for spiritual blindness. Here are some key ideas in this passage. First, there's a relationship between sin and suffering here, between sin and the blindness of this particular man. It's not the relationship that the apostles see. Is this this man's sin or his father's sin? Instead, this man has real suffering in his life, but the suffering really comes from other people. People assume that his blindness is his fault, that it's some sin of his. His it, suffering is inflicted by others. We still stigmatize people. Fat people are all gluttons. Skinny people are all bulimics. You can find all these connections. Humans stig stigmatize what they don't like in themselves and others. So they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? But Jesus' vision, he responds, is neither this man nor his parents. For his blindness in this case is so that the work of God might be manifest in him. The higher purpose in this story is that Jesus is revealed as the light of the world in this healing. But when you overcome sin, when there is some great thing you're able to change about yourself because of your faith, it's the same point, isn't it? That we're not supposed to hate what is broken about us, but instead we see this as a place where God's light is made manifest so Jesus performs this miracle, declaring, I am the light of the world. So first, this story is about light. It's about vision. Number two, Jesus doesn't say anything as he heals this man. We are supposed to see with our minds. So you see Jesus bends down. He spits on the ground. He mixes it with clay. He smears it on the man's eyes, and he sends him off to the pool of Siloam. The only thing he says is wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, St. Irenaeus, who lived in, I believe, the second century, understood the passage this way, that Jesus was remaking this human person from his Jesus' spit and mud because there was this old Jewish tradition, and it's found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that said God first created the human person by spitting 
and mixing his saliva with the mud of the earth. You can't really form dust, right? So even if he made man from the dust of the ground, the rabbis are kind of drawing the necessary conclusions. You have to have some moisture to form it into a body. So uh, what did he have? Well, he, he had his own spit. And remember in the book of Genesis, God the Father breathes his own spirit into Adama, the person he has made from, in the Jewish tradition, spit and clay. And so when we read this passage, we're supposed to see the recreation of a human person, both in the original story in Genesis about how God forms the human person from, from dust, but also rebirth and baptism, because the miracle is not complete until the man goes and washes in the pool of Siloam. And so uh, we're gonna read, if you remember, during the Easter season, the story from chapter 20 in John, which is all about light and darkness, life and death, faith and disbelief. We're gonna read the story about Jesus after his resurrection, breathing on his disciples and saying, those whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Those whose sins you hold bound are hold bound. Chapter 20 in John. But that's another image of Jesus as the Father creating uh, by breathing like God the Father breathed on the mud that was Adam in that uh, story in Genesis. But number three, when Jesus spits and makes clay and commands the man to wash with water, he commands him to go to the pool of Siloam so the whole emphasis on baptism, washing, is present in this story. Do you remember what Jesus said in chapter 3 of uh, uh, the same gospel when he said to Nicodemus, uh, Nicodemus says, How can a man be born from above? Can he climb into his own mother's womb and be reborn? And Jesus says, Unless you're born of water and the Spirit. So here's a man being washed and then chapter 20, men are born again who are baptized by being breathed upon. Um, you know, in the early church, the uh, sacrament, the mysterion, was called um, uh, the sacrament of enlightenment or illumination. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. But at this point, the Pharisees have no vision. They only have like a physical sight. They, say Jesus, they see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. So they see the Sabbath is commanded. They just don't see the work of God being performed on the Sabbath. And another thing is, when the scriptures talk about the Jews, um, read that within the context of what's being said. Because remember, the man who's born blind, he's Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. The disciples are Jewish. Jesus' mom is Jewish. Nicodemus is Jewish. Joseph of Arimathea is Jewish. So it's not all the Jews. There is a conflict going on here with the authorities that are tied up with institutional Judaism. And so when we talk about the, the Jews in this story, it's really the people he's clashing with, Jesus is clashing with in and around the temple. And so what's all this about? Well, I've kind of described it. This is a story about a man born blind going to sight and people born with sight going to blindness. The Pharisees said to the blind man, you were born in utter, utter sin, would you teach us? Because remember the man they asked who healed you and he said, uh, 
the prophet. Um, he goes through this whole trying to understand what happened to him. But the Pharisees don't listen to him because since he was born blind, he or his parents were sinned, so he can easily dis, disengage from what he's trying to say. So they assume that he has nothing to say because he was born blind. You know, it's the, the Pharisees are off the track here. But it's, you can understand it, can't you? Some illnesses are behavior-driven. Driv, 100% of alcoholics abuse alcohol. Um, the disease probably has deeper personality roots than just the alcohol. But uh, the, it's being overextended beyond where you can rationally take um, illnesses that are driven by behavior. Uh, clearly, the Pharisees lack understanding and insight because they tend to be legalistic. And so as we as Catholics have to avoid that blindness that comes from elevating legalisms uh, above love of God and neighbor. But the blind man follows a different path. He can't see. He doesn't exactly know what's going on. But he tries to make sense of it, and that's how he comes to understanding and insight and real perception. First, when he's asked, he doesn't know who healed him. Then the man born blind thinks that the person who healed him is a prophet. And then upon further reflection, he believes that it's a man sent from God. And finally, when he realizes who Jesus is and he meets Jesus, he understands it's the Lord. He falls on his knee and worships. That is a huge trajectory in one day. So Jesus is the divine son of God. He is the light that came into the world. And the Pharisees are led into rejecting Jesus because they can't see because of their own legalisms. And the truth of the matter is, is people who tie into these orthodoxies, these dogmatisms that reject who Jesus is, they're blind like the Pharisees are in this story. You know, in the early church, Pope St. Leo the Great, um, and he is from late antiquity. He he was uh, wrote for the early church about baptism, and, and particularly this story. He said about this story, what was visible in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ's public ministry, has passed over into his mysteries. Well, that's it. That's in Latin. The word is sacramentums. Sacramentum. We get sacraments from that. In Greek, the word for sacrament is mysterion. That's where the word mystery comes from. Sacrament, mystery, this is the Greek and Latin understanding of what Jesus did in baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, and the other sacraments. So Leo's point is that this public work of Jesus has now passed into the church's work through the sacraments, but you need vision and insight and true perception to understand what the sacraments are doing. And otherwise, all you see is male, female, water, bread, wine, and oil. You don't see marriage, baptism, Eucharist, anointing of the sick. You don't see confirmation or holy orders and the sacrament of penance. The ancient Christians referred to all these sacraments as the mysteries, or as it comes down to us, the sacraments. You don't need faith to believe that there is some dark thread that runs through all human beings, some wound in us from which we need to be cured, a wound that distorts how we see God's world. And this wound exists in all human beings, in all places, in all times, in all cultures. 
Catholics call this original sin. Not just the sin of our ancestor, uh, but some flaw that continues in our own personal origin story. In ancient Christianity, one of the favorite names for the sacrament of baptism that we'll celebrate at the Easter Vigil is the sacrament of illumination, the gift of enlightenment. In baptism, we receive spiritual illumination to be able to see the truths of faith through the gift of faith, through the gift of Christ in baptism. When we die with Christ in baptism, we rise with him in God's world. The man born blind is each of us, born into original sin and blindness. Jesus came to restore our sight. His work is still carried on in the sacraments and the doctrine of the church. So I didn't want to leave this story about Seattle and the lady with the pita chips. You know, in the second reading, it said, this is St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. Paul wrote, For once you were in darkness, but now you are in the light and in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it is said, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. So that's St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 5. Well, we're living in a difficult time. It's exposing some of the darkness in our own culture. You know, it's very human to get upset and start storing pita chips in the dishwasher. It's maybe understandable under the, the current circumstances, but we need to move beyond this. A coronavirus zombie apocalypse is not really coming. This is going to get worse before it gets better. But this is a time for the community to pull together, not take care of number one to everybody else's detriment. You know, uh, if you ever saw the movie Zombieland, uh, which is a great zombie epic from Hollywood, the character there's reason for living was finding Twinkies. You can find them in the darndest place, places. Twinkies is, I think, is well known, has a half-life that rivals Uranium-235. You know, these dystopian pictures that we have that about hoarding and what happens when the zombies come. This is Hollywood. It, it isn't the reality of living in Oro Valley. The pandemonium that Hollywood feeds us doesn't reflect real life. Listen, remember the, psych, the psychiatrist, Professor Taylor, I quoted him at the beginning of this podcast. I wanted to save the best part of what he had to say for, for later. So he talked about fear and pandemics and kind of the trajectory of what happens with human behavior in the pandemics that he's studied. Here's what he said. People pull together. There's been altruism in the middle of pandemics. There have been people helping each other out. And I hope, I'm hoping that's going to happen this time around. The people will pull together and realize, oh, I need to think beyond just my family. I need to help out my neighbor who's too sick to go and shop for herself and things like that. So if this is anything like previous outbreaks, there should be more of that, I hope, naturally arising. I hope so too. If it doesn't naturally arise, at least we Catholics should give birth to these deeds of light because of our faith. 
Dr. Taylor sounded a hopeful note, and I think it rings of the truth. But somebody has to be the example. Somebody has to make, bring the darkness into the light. So we at St. Mark can be ahead of the curve because we see the empty shelves, but we don't succumb to the fear and the panic. We all have rational needs, and we each should take reasonable care of ourselves and those that depend on us. This is a time, however, when character is tested and virtue proved. There will be toilet paper and pita chips and Twinkies enough to go around, I suspect. Toilet paper at any rate. After all, this is not a dysentery epidemic. This has been another episode of Oro Valley Catholic, and this is your host, Father John Arnold, pastor at St. Mark. Although I've been laying low this week, talk to my doctor, and he thinks it's just a head cold. I'm not running a temperature. I don't have a, a chest cough, but I thought that probably made sense to just uh, lay low this week. And so hopefully this next week, we'll start getting online with a few more things. So stay tuned by means of flock note and participate in your community in this time of need. God bless you. From the center of the coronavirus epidemic, this is Father John Arnold.